There you have it, the organs. James, do you know that someone left a comment on our blog saying that when he listens to the organs, it reminds him of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Ah, yeah, I can see that. That's definitely the 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 tune that I was going for. Are, are you a Rocky <laughs> Horror Show? Uh, yeah. I yeah, occasionally, occasionally. It seems to be on um, what's that channel? Channel TVS, I think it is. It's on a pretty much every um, every second Saturday, I think. So yeah, I flick flick it on every now and then. Well, let's um, let's play our new song. So. Uh, here we go. Let's let's play a new song with Joe. Who I don't know if we can share some exciting news about Joe and her beautiful, amazing voice. So we won't share it. But um, uh, watch the space. And here is our new intro song. It's so funky. The it's a monkey. The podcast radio show. A little bit of Twitter, a little bit of chatter on the podcast radio show. Here are our hosts, Kevin and James. Kevin and James. It's a monkey. Let us know what you think of the intro song. That is our new intro song. You are listening to the It's a Monkey podcast, 26th of April, Friday. And it is a beautiful day in Sydney, Australia. We are on episode number... What are we? We're episode number 18. Are we? Yep, episode okay. number 18. Awesome. We've got a great show lined up for you. Later on in the show, we'll be interviewing Alan Peters, who works for Inmobi one of the biggest uh, mobile ad networks in the world. And we'll be talking to him about all things mobile. And remember, you can go onto our website, itsamonkey.com, and you can listen to previous shows. Last episode, we spoke about Bitcoin, which is still all over the press and has just really ignited a discussion about monetary systems and um, all exciting things. So if you want to find out about Bitcoin, go to the website and listen to episode number 17 and some previous episodes there. As always, let's start out with the tech news. Lots happening in tech this week and over the last couple of weeks. Remember, we publish our podcast at the moment every two weeks. So check on a Friday in your iTunes. Um, go to the website. We also, a lot of the people are listening to it while they're using Managed Flitter now, aren't they, James? Yeah, it seems to be quite a few people who, uh, who flick the play button when they're unfollowing people. So also we've had some system issues. People have <laughs> taken the opportunity to listen to the podcast while, this, while the site's been down. Yeah, we've had a couple of tweets from people saying, thanks for you know, listening to you guys while, you, um, uh, while I'm, you know, I'm cleaning up my accounts, etc. So if you're listening to this while using Manage Flitter, great, thank you. Um, we've got some uh, exciting bits and pieces for Manage Flitter. Our newsletter should be coming out into your inbox later today. Um, but let's get on to the tech news for the last couple of weeks. Twitter launched its music service. Yeah, they did. Is that that's, that's just this week? Yeah, yeah. Quite uh, quite interesting. Have you played around with it at all? Well, I've got Android. Uh, but it's a web on a, on the website as well. Okay, no, I I haven't. Um, I'd love to. I haven't played with it yet. Yeah, it's on music.twitter.com, which is actually how I've been using it. Um, yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's essentially it's a it's kind of a a list of the top tracks. So it's kind of like a, a charts list. But they also have an emerging playlist, which is kind of what they're doing is they're tracking all of the most popular songs as tweeted on by on Twitter. Um, and so essentially it's just like a list of the most popular emerging artists, things people haven't seen before. Uh, so, yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. It's, it's actually quite similar to the We Are Hunted app that they have replaced. And we and we spoke about that in the last podcast, how Twitter had just bought We Are Hunted and they quickly rolled that out into Twitter music. Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, it looks to me like that app's been in development for a while, so it doesn't look like they've bought We Are Hunted and they rolled out this app just afterwards. They must right. have been working on this for quite a while. Right. Because um, it's actually quite polished. Uh, but in order to listen to full tracks on the web, you have to... Um, you have to actually have a Spotify or radio account. Audio. Audio, right? I don't even. I, I don't even know what that is. Audio. Yeah, is it's, it available it's, in Australia? Yeah, and and in fact, it's they've actually partnered with Telstra. You know, oh, if wow. you if you use audio and you you're on Telstra, you mm. don't get um, hit for downloads. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, well, I I've, I mean, I've got a Spotify account, so I can listen to all the stuff through that. Um, but if you don't have either of those accounts, 
uh, if you don't have a paid version of either of those accounts, then you only get the previews through right. iTunes, which is a little bit limited. Um, but yeah, that's the same thing for the mobile version of the app. And um, they try to time it, it seems, with Couchella mm. in Palm Springs. Did you? Did you see that video today on Mashable about them going to Coachella? And, <laughs> I did, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, saying, hey, have you heard of X Band, which doesn't exist? And all the people going, yeah, they really, you know, they, 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 they I like them because they're really authentic. And, you know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's funny, yeah. yeah. This, the psychology <laughs> of humans is just fascinating. They yeah. just, they, 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 they don't want to sort of be You want to seem like they fit in, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they want to yeah. seem like they're an outsider. I love, I love those experiments. There's some psychologist that's done some experiments about all sorts of things like that. For instance, how many people it takes to stand around and look up to the sky before other people start looking up <laughs> to the sky and, and things like that. Is it like three maybe? <laughs> yeah, it's probably... Or one even. Probably, probably not that many. So that's um, Twitter music. I'll have a play with that. Um, there was a interesting breach of um, Associated Press Twitter accounts a couple of days ago where someone hacked in and tweeted about um, something going on at the at the White House and of course and it made the markets crash yeah I think the tweet was um, something to the effect of breaking news as being two explosions at the, at the White House President Obama's been injured um, and yeah so it uh, caused a bit of a stock market crash but it just turned out to be a, a, a a hacker doing it and um i guess in response there's been comment that twitter's going to be releasing a two-factor authentication pretty soon yeah i think they've um they've had this in the works for a little while i don't think it's necessarily a reaction but it's definitely come to light that they've had internal testing of the of the product and so i mean two-factor authentication essentially means you have your password and then you have something else that helps you log in um, like you might have an app on your phone, which is kind of a secondary thing. You have to key in like a series of numbers that are time-based, um, which is great. I mean, we, we all use it for email because it's a great sort of security measure. And yeah, I mean, with all of this spate of hackings that have been happening on Twitter, I think it's a very, very useful thing, particularly for larger brands. Um, and it will essentially bring, if you do use two-factor auth, I mean, it doesn't completely secure you but unless you've like lost your phone or you know somebody's hacked into your phone you're pretty much secure so it really does increase the level of security you have um, to almost impervious yeah google launched two-factor auth in 2011 but apparently microsoft has only just introduced two-factor auth which oh, really which mm. really surprises me mm. or oh, maybe it doesn't surprise me yeah no it's a very important thing to have i'm surprised that um it's it's not featured more highly in services. I think like even Google and Gmail is still kind of like hidden. You have to actually know about it and go and activate it in order to actually use it. Um, the banks, of course, um, I don't know about in the States, but if, in, in Australia, the banks have been using two-factor auth for ages where they either text yeah, you or, the, or you've got a little, a little um, security mm. token thing. In order to transfers, yeah. 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 Actually, it reminds me, I should probably turn on two-factor auth in my bank account because <laughs> I don't think I've got it on right now. Nobody hack me. <laughs> they listen to this yeah, song. I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think you should. Uh, yeah, I don't know. If, I don't think it already can find my bank account, so it's probably fairly safe. That's probably probably safe. Uh, uh, we hope. So that's. Um, I'll go turn it on right now. <laughs> yeah, look, and these things, you know, these big accounts have a lot of credibility inherent in them, and when they send out a tweet, I mean, the market crashed. Um, I mean, it, it it recovered quite quickly when it was seen as a. Um, you know, a hack, but uh, I mean, it really impacted the markets in the States. The markets really immediately just crashed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's obviously, uh, it's interesting to know whether that would have been automated reactions to the this, this kind of content, because there are definitely sort of algorithms that read this kind of news coming out and then react to it. And because it was tweeted out of the main associated press account, there's lots of um, news outlets that would actually just immediately retweet that. So it would just have a real sudden flow and effect. Yep. So it could actually be, you know, automated systems or it could be real people reacting to it. Um, it'd be quite interesting to see a breakdown of that kind of information. And of course, the two biggest accounts, I think, are Justin Bieber and Lady Gaga. Um, so they could cause worldwide they could, yeah. especially amongst the teenagers. <laughs> Definitely cause a stock market crash, yeah. Um, what else do we have going on in the news? Apple's share price. Talking about stock markets crashing. Apple's share price last week um, 
hit below $400. Now, if you're not aware of Apple's share price, it peaked last year at $700. In late 2000, um, long before the iPhone and the iPad, you could actually buy Apple shares for $7. So a lot, essentially, um, you know, from $700 last year peaking um, to $400 last week, mm-hmm. that's almost considered a crash in the price. Um, the interesting thing is when you look at the PE ratios, which are the important um, you know, metric to look at, Microsoft's trading currently at 11 times earnings. Google's trading at 20 times earnings, and Apple's trading at five times earnings. So Apple's actually looking cheap at the moment, and the analysts actually aren't predicting any major revenue crash, so to speak. I mean, they pr- the, the growth is, is, has slowed significantly, but there's no major crash in the revenues predicted. So it's actually looking, according to the PE ratios, quite cheap at Being five times. Good. Yeah, it's interesting. I, mean, I would suspect the reason that it's not doing as well is just that it was obviously buoyed from a lot of the the hype around all of the you know the iPhone or the sales increases that were coming out of that. But there's nothing really on the horizon right now for Apple, and obviously the market's you know very speculative. So um, if there isn't anything announced, nothing to look forward to. No no indications that it's going to be able to claw back some of that market share because it definitely lost a lot of market share on the iPhone, and that's definitely impacted um, you know long term uh, growth of the company. But um, yeah, no, I think it's I think it's just there's just nothing exciting, you know, coming out. They need to come out with uh, I think wearable technology is the big next wave. Mm, could and be watches, glasses, um, or even a Google Glass competitor, yeah. maybe. Yeah, could yeah. be what they could do. I had a look to see if we could get Google Glasses, and they've closed all the applications, and um, I, t- I put us on the list. But um, yeah, Google Glasses certainly seems like. Um, an interesting technology and it will be interesting to see what comes out of it. There've been complaints that the API is quite restrictive. I mean, Google did announce that they've released the Google Glasses API, but it is apparently quite restrictive. I haven't looked into it in detail. Do you know anything about that? Yeah, I've taken a look through it. Um, it's, it's restrictive in the sense that it's not, um, so it's not apps actually running on glass. So the difference is it's kind of like um, if you've got your phone and you have the apps actually running on the phone. Right. Um, so it's not like that. It's more like a website. So if you go to a website and you have the actual information coming to you and you've got to request it. So essentially it's a REST service, which essentially means the programming logic doesn't actually happen on the glass device itself. It happens right. off, off on your own computers. Right. Um, and the consequences you can do, you can't do as much real-time stuff and a lot less interactive things can happen. Um, yeah. I think, yeah, I'm, I think this, this is going to work. I think this Google Glass stuff is going to work. I, I really can see, I think it's going to take time until sort of the right combination of content and the, the, the right sort of integration with our life. But I think it's going to happen. Yeah, look, I mean, I don't think uh, Google Glass in this first days is necessarily the solution to that problem. Um, the technology's obviously got a long way to go, even if you look at what it is now, what it does. But, yeah, look, absolutely, I think, um, you know, five years, ten years, I think it'll be rare for people not to be wearing one of these devices and whatever the evolution of this device is. Um, yeah, no, I'm convinced it will make quite a big difference to, to mankind. I think I think um, humankind, if you humankind, were. Humankind, yeah. Jeez, <laughs> this is a politically correct <laughs> zone, I'll have you know. Um, <laughs> look, I think technology is just, you know, just pushing out to be more and more seamless. You know, it's just, this is going to be invisible, more and more invisible. Um, you know, I, I think mobile is almost the first stage, which is relevant. And, you know, gone from having to go and sit at your computer, or even if you take it back, you'd have to go and sit at your computer labs computer at your mm. university you know and then it's uh, everyone had their own desktop then their own laptop then their own mobile so it's almost you know collapsing into our into our personal state space closer and closer and eventually it will be some sort of cyborg type environment it sounds very futuristic and perhaps scary but um i think it will actually be a good thing i think it will actually i think it could mean that um what am I trying to say? It could actually, it, it could be less disruptive and jarring. So instead of someone sitting and checking their mobile phone, maybe they can sit and be present and get notified of something 
only that they want to get notified by Google Glass and not be inappropriately disrupted. Mm. Yeah, look, I mean, it's interesting. It's it's gonna. Yeah, I think it's definitely gonna cause um, a disruption in the way we use technology. The fact that it's always there, always in your face, it's definitely gonna cause issues. Um, you know, you're always going to be having essentially two streams of information. You're going to be having your real world engagement, and then plus your sort of digital engagement, and what sort of consequences that's going to have in human interaction. I think is probably a little bit of an unknown. But you know, I'm all for computers taking over our lives, so <laughs> I don't necessarily it's a bad thing. And um, and the fact that yeah, we don't have to be sitting in front of our computer. We can be wherever we want, doing whatever we want. I think that definitely opens up some interesting um, implications for what you know the future of working and the future of um, being productive is going to look like. And interesting, um, just going, one important thing that we missed about Apple was that they announced the biggest buyback, uh, share buyback in history, hmm. that they're going to be returning a total of $100 billion to shareholders by the end of 2050. Now get this statement, how many companies can st- say this? We continue to generate cash in excess of our needs to operate the business, invest in our future, and maintain flexibility to take advantage of strategic opportunities. That's crazy. Just, I just got too much money. Just, just. <laughs> I mean, there was a there was a time last year where where they nudged over. I think they've come back, but they nudged over to having more cash than the U.S. government. Wow, that's amazing. That's insane. So it's hard to, hard to imagine that that kind of um, that a business like Apple can have that amount of money. It is it is really yeah, yeah. It, it, it's quite it's quite incredible. I mean I've still got a bias against physical companies. You know I don't I don't like their um, their inherent um, challenges, but boy they've made a yeah. they've made a success of it all. Doing incredibly well. Doing incredibly well. Um, I think. I think that is it for the news today. We're going to be talking to Alan Peters from InMobi after the break about everything that's happening in the mobile industry. And, of course, mobile is impacting us every which way. And please tweet us. Please email us. Please comment. If you're listening to this while you're using Manage Flutter, go to the website of It's a Monkey, It's a Monkey.com. Drop us a comment. Tell us you love us. Tell us you hate us. Tell us what you'd like to hear. We love hearing from you. Um, you can also email us at podcast at itsamonkey.com. If you send us an email with an MP3 or a sound file, we'll give you, uh, we'll, we'll play it on air. So stay with us. We're going to be talking to Alan Peters after the break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at ManageFlitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. Thanks for joining us. My name's Kevin Garber. You're back on the It's a Monkey podcast where we regularly talk about everything relating to the tech economy. Now, of course, something that has an, an, an area that has impacted our lives very dramatically, not only on the consumer side of things, but also on the enterprise side of things, um, is mobile. We all carry them. We now have a powerful computer in our pocket and it's impacting everything we do how we spend, how we shop for things, how we date and find people to date, um, how we catch trains, everything. So I thought it'd be worth having a bit of a chat with an expert in this area who works with mobile every day. So I've invited Alan Peters to join us. Now, Alan's the director of product at Inmobi. Inmobi is a a very large mobile advertising network um, that helps app developers and the like sort of find find a place uh, to, to, to sell their wares in front of eyeballs. Um, Alan, thanks, for very, thanks very much for joining us all the way from uh, San Francisco. Ah, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. We interview so many people from San Francisco. We really should get a, a semi-permanent glass studio right, right in downtown or in the Mission or in Soma where we can just drag you people in. Well, there we go. And uh, in the meantime, if you like a couch to stay on, let me know. I might take you up on that. Um, Alan, thanks for joining us. Let's talk about mobile. Now, you uh, um, obviously work a lot in the space. What's happening with mobile that we may not be aware of at the moment? Mobile is a a very big space. It's a little bit like grabbing at uh, 
grabbing at an elephant, right? You know, there's uh, you could be looking at how do you develop applications for mobile. You could be looking at mobile commerce. You can be looking at operating systems. You can be looking at handsets. You can be looking at how people monetize. It's really a, it's a bit like looking at what's happening with computers right now. It really know, has right? become as as significant and broad in that as that, hasn't it? Uh, that's right, and and I think it's recently, you know, the sale of of and particularly, I I really when I think mobile, I think smartphone and and tablets. I think that's really what it's become. Uh, and if you look at at smartphone and tablets, the pace of of sales has has overtaken desktop sales and is on a course to uh, replace them altogether. And so it's it's a very very large very, very large space. Uh, my day-to-day -day is largely in and around figuring out how all the people in that space can uh, make a living there. Well, let's talk a little bit about an area that I'm particularly interested in, mobile <clears throat> and the enterprise. Now, the enterprise okay. you know, comes from a, from a world where the IT managers used to make the decisions and a lot of the products were driven by creating products for IT managers and getting buy-in from IT managers. Now, mobile, you know, mobile has come from the other aspect where it's consumer-driven, where people use their mobiles at home and after hours, and they want to have that accessibility and usability and, and convenience in the enterprise. Has the enterprise embraced mobile in the same way that the consumer space has? Oh, absolutely. And, and I think they have no choice, right? And I think there's such an overwhelming drive from all the consumers and I think there's so much overwhelming utility for them that <clears throat> they really can't help but to to embrace these things and I think you've seen a lot of players in the ecosystem or a handful of players in the ecosystem try and maintain traction uh, uh, research in motion rim comes to mind right uh, as a strictly enterprise only player and I think what we've seen is that the tidal wave of iOS and Android has just come and washed over them altogether. And uh, I think that any savvy enterprise, uh, every savvy enter enterprise uh, realizes that they need to find the optimal way for their entire workforce to be mobilely connected on the on the devices that they're used to using. But is there equivalent? I mean, I mean, the, the, the mobile space <clears throat> and the consumer side of things being very driven by the app stores, the Google Play Store and the iOS store. I mean, it, it, enterprise, it's, 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 I mean, you know, RIM's really struggled, so it's it's not really, you know, there's, there, is there an enterprise equivalent to that type of driver? Well, I think enterprises are just finding ways to make iOS and Android feel, uh, you know, institutions that have security concerns or, or things like that, which really haven't been the, um, weren't at the center point of something like iOS or, or Android have just started to find ways to make that work for them because they realize that that's really what uh, their entire population is going to want to use. And, and there's just such a vibrant app ecosystem there that they really can't swim up that kind of current. And what do you think um, Facebook have, have come up with their Facebook home product? <laughs> um, I mean, are the social media networks, is that, is that really, I mean, the, the, the network that is going to win mobile, do you think that is the network that is going to win the race? Is it that significant? Uh, well, that's hard to say, isn't it? I, I think, and I think <clears throat> Zuckerberg's been very cagey there with, you know, we're not going to make a, a phone, but they may as well, right? Because they've, they've looked to have be supremely... They, they have made a play that might make them very dominant there. But I honestly don't think that, I think mobile is so big that I don't think a single social media presence can control it. You know, I, I think you really have to be, I mean, you st maybe stand a chance at the carrier, but even at that point with, with the way that Google and Apple have played this out, I, I think that a mobile network, or sorry, a social media business like a Facebook or a Twitter or a LinkedIn or, you know, a number of the equivalents in China who have sort of massive presence, I think they can stand to get closely coupled and I think they can stand to make a lot of money there. But I think it's just far too big an ecosystem for any of them to think about controlling. 
I was interested to hear uh, Zuckerberg last year. I was at the TechCrunch Disrupt Conference, I think it was September, October, um, where he said that they only had their first, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was, it was that they only had their first mobile-specific ads about a year ago now. It was only in 2012 that they launched mobile-specific advertising on Facebook. Uh, yeah, that's right. They're still relatively new to it. Uh, and uh, I've had a lot of overlap with them in, in that regard. Uh, the company that I come into now uh, was, uh, I came into as an acquisition via a company called Sprout, and our history was as one of the first Facebook developers, and then uh, uh, later we, we pivoted into becoming a mobile advertising company, and so we've been a partner with Facebook on a number of fronts and in that regard, and, and they've always been a little bit late to the party there. However, their heft is so great and their reach is, is so tremendous that they're quickly becoming uh, a force in that space. They remind me a little bit about Microsoft, where in Microsoft, even if they missed the boat on something like the internet, they could throw enough money and wait at it and quickly catch up. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it plays out in the in the in the same kind of way. I, I think if you ask me just by gut instinct, I think I see Microsoft, despite their ability to throw tons of money, continuing to struggle. I, I, I just don't see. Uh, and of course, this is my personal opinion, <laughs> not that of my employers, but I, I just don't see Windows OS, for instance, getting a lot of traction. And I think that I don't see a lot of people logging into Bing similarly in the search space, despite the fact that Microsoft has been able to and willing to continue to just put uh, mind-bogglingly, mind-boggling amounts of money uh, into those into those efforts, I think that Facebook, you know, still has enough bloom on its rose, if you will, to be uh, to be more relevant and, and be um, more adaptable into that into that space. So I'm a little more pessimistic on uh, Microsoft's play in that regard. Look, I think Facebook have so many untapped monetization points. I mean, I'm record. I'm on record on this podcast, remaining <clears throat> very bullish about the long-term outlook for Facebook and the stock price. And you know, as a as a Facebook um, junkie, I just constantly bump into these corners where I see very obvious ways they could monetize. And in fact, I'm quite surprised that they they pushing so hard down the sort of you know ad. Add sort of um, you know paths because I see some really other ways that they can that they can uh, make money without being as disruptive as ads can tend to be sometimes. Yeah, I would tend to agree with you, and I think that there's a I think that there's a a very healthy debate in the startup world right now, which is that you know there's this whole model of building tremendous reach and you know by building something really relevant and, and connected and then figuring out how to monetize after and of course the great center of gravity for all these things is advertising and then the challenge is that you know we've re we've renamed product placement in this case as native advertising uh, and that that starts to dilute the experience that was so compelling and so how do you resolve that tension or can you resolve that tension um, and, and I think there's a lot of again healthy debate on, on that subject right now the flip side is that I think that advertising is such a tried and true way you know to monetize and to provide people the it's a little bit of a bad rap because it's it is the way to provide so much of the free content you know that we, as consumers we all want to have right be it be it games be it social media be it uh movies and television etc uh we're all quite happy to not want to pay for these things uh and advertising is the vehicle for that the flip side is that there's so much dreck out there it's extremely challenging for brands to be relevant uh to consumers and so you know are as a um End user, right? Our relationship to these things is almost like a necessary evil. Right? I, th I think you hit the nail on the head, though, when you said, you know, it's all about um, 
not diluting the experience. And I think well, that's why Google obviously has been so successful with AdWords because AdWords really doesn't dilute the experience. And I think, I mean, that brings me to my next question about mobile ads. I mean, you obviously do this involved with it a lot. I mean, what, what you know, what drives the success of mobile ads? Is it a, a, a traditional disruptive type of advertising i mean the mobile ads that i get from some of the media properties in australia they are traditional sort of disruptive type of you know for i don't know what the technical industry word is but type of banner ads that pop up that i have to close are there any other types of mobile advertising that perhaps um, dilute the experience less and are more sort of integrated somehow oh that's a good question and and yeah even my you know, my five-year-old daughter, right, can uh, pull up a game of Angry Birds on a tablet that we hand her, and uh, she now not only knows the word app, but she also knows the word ads, right? She'll and she'll, with certain frustration, you know, tell me there's an ad and I can't get it to go away, right? It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, extremely commonplace. Uh, I think that what you see in monetization for um, for mobile is right now going on two major divergent pathways and one is uh, the same is replicating the same advertising technology ecosystem that you have in the desktop display space uh, this is the space that uh, you know the double clicks of the world and the like play in and and there's, you know, if you if you dig in there, there's, it's a very complicated landscape, extremely fragmented with lots of players who are mostly in and about buying and selling of media and uh, figuring out how to be more relevant um, uh, in, and just tons and tons of companies uh, in, a, in a very crowded space. And so, and that's largely in the, the traditional brand advertising and, and publisher space. So that's what, what we've come up with on desktop to match, say, what it is to buy an ad on uh, in a magazine, right? Um, while there's, on one hand, a rush to, to replicate that whole ecosystem for brand advertising, there is another ecosystem emerging for uh, game monetization, specifically. Uh, and I think the difference is that on the one hand, uh, game developers are the least savvy, I think, about advertising, right? These aren't people who are sort of dyed-in-the-wool, traditional media, traditional brand advertising folks. These are, are people who uh, love to design and build uh, games, and they're trying to figure out the best way to bring people games for, for free. And on the other hand, they're the most savvy about monetization and that they look for not just ads but a number of ways uh, to monetize their their game, and so that looks like paid downloads. That looks like virtual goods or upgrades, you know, purchased inside the game. And it also looks like you know ads placed, and and they try and find the balance of of those few things uh, that makes them the most viable. And then on top of that, they are both an advertiser and a publisher. Like if you look at a lot of the ads inside a game, it's an ad for another game. And so it's in some ways a, a totally new ecosystem uh, that uh, is still really trying to sort itself out. So tell us a little bit about um, Inmobi, what's, what you guys do. Uh, so Inmobi is uh, at its center a, a mobile advertising network. Uh, it's a, a global company. I think if you, uh, I'm based in the U.S. where you know there's a, a number of, of companies like that, and I think we're sort of number six or seven by by market share. But globally, uh, in Europe, uh, the Middle East, Africa, Asia, uh, we're either uh, if not number one, we're we're second to usually to Google or maybe Apple. And by and large, what we do is connect advertisers and uh, publishers. Uh, with additional revenue. And then additionally, we're also a uh, technology company that provides a number of platforms uh, for developers, publishers, advertisers to uh, buy, sell, create advertising and, and other forms of monetization. Do you have um, 
much exciting things happening in the Australian market? Any Australian customers? Uh, yeah, we have a, a strong Australian presence, and in fact, uh, our, our new uh, GM of brand, in fact, in uh, just just came over came over from Sydney, and uh, yeah, we have a very a very vibrant, in fact, uh, brand advertising uh, ecosystem in in Australia itself. A big part uh, on the technology side, what I do from from day to day, frankly, is actually just make sure that not all these things are relevant. Uh, what I like to tell my team is uh, our, our goal is to be less annoying. Um, <laughs> a good to, aim. Yeah, I think if, if as advertising, if we can set our sights on being less annoying, uh, I, I think um, we'll have done well. And uh, is really to just deal with, uh, I mean, one of the challenges of mobile is that uh, there's, it's extremely resource constrained, right? So your bandwidth, your processing, you know, is considerably more limited than you have elsewhere in desktop. And so Australia um, is unfortunately one of the harder um, countries to reach in terms of high throughput. And so we, we spend a lot of time trying to optimize. Uh, it's certainly not nearly as as tough as uh, China, for instance, but uh, relative to, say, Japan and uh, the UK and uh, North America, we spend a, a considerable amount of energy trying to efficiently deliver ads to all you uh, fine people in, in Sydney and Melbourne. Aren't the, um, the networks here on par with uh, the United States? I mean, in the, my time spent in the United States, I mean, admittedly, I've only actually ever tried out AT&T, T-Mobile. I think those are the only two I've tried out. And they don't seem to, um, at least on the networks I was on, they don't seem to be any different um, on a day-to-day -day basis than the Australian networks. Uh, that's good to hear. I, I think that it's not so much the the carriers as it is the the internet providers and you know especially if you're trying to you know co-locate systems elsewhere and, and deliver into australia ah, okay or, gotcha yeah and the content delivery networks there's just a i think uh an unfortunately thin pipe from places like singapore and tokyo oh, into gotcha. yep yep we are we we are still an island at the end of the day i i, I think so a very large large <laughs> but the, <laughs> the the one frustration i have with mobile networks or cell networks as you guys because guys call them is uh, um the voice quality uh, i don't know if it's a, a a codec issue that you that the networks have there or if they run their networks very thin but i find the voice quality on the cell phone networks in the states shocking it's horrible it's horrible and uh and I think it's something we really have to solve for. I think because I think one of the other big trends in, in mobile, backing up from advertising for a moment, right, is that one of the other challenges that mobile provides is that it's a, you know, we've lost the keyboard, right, and so we've brought about touch screens, which has created a whole new paradigm for interacting with things. But I think that voice interaction is really one of the next big waves that's just started to come, and uh, as usual. Apple has sort of created some pretty great timing with with the advent of Siri, and Apple has a pretty great pulpit for reaching people on these things, and that's stoked a lot of demand. And so we're starting to see uh, companies like Nuance and the like start to make a lot of other inroads uh, in business applications because uh, of the advent of, of Siri. Where is the debate at between HTML5 and native apps and HTML5 apps? And I know there was a lot of talk of that a little while ago. Um, is it just one of these, you know, tech religious debates where you can argue both sides or is, is, is one of the paths sort of making more sense at the moment? Uh, it's a great question. I, it really depends on, on what you're trying to do. I, I wouldn't say it's religious. I think it's, uh, I would say it's, what end you're trying to reach. At the end of the day, HTML5 will never be as fast as, you know, or responsive as uh, a native developed application. It just technically can't ever be. Uh, the flip side is that it's considerably easier to develop and considerably, you, you can reach a lot more places a lot more quickly. You can iterate a lot faster as a developer and so that buys you a lot of things. I think that 
there's a lot of parts of the HTML5 specification that really haven't even been realized in most browsers yet. Uh, you know, for instance, you know, speaking of voice and the like, uh, there's there. If you look at the spec, there's capability to provide a lot more uh, video and, and voice uh, capacity inside HTML5, but most browsers just haven't been able to implement that just yet. Right. So, I think that. HTML5, you know, at the moment, really, it's the choice for more rapid development, right, or, or content that changes more quickly. I think ultimately, much like we saw, you know, with Internet versus desktop, and I think that HTML5 will have uh, the performance, while it will never be the same, will start to matter less, right? Processors will speed. There will be more memory in phones. Connections will get better. Uh, the spec will be better implemented, and I think the longer play that will just be dominant, even if it's never as fast. Uh, but at the moment, I think really it's just a trade-off of what you're trying to do. Yeah, and I totally agree. I mean, as a as a CEO of a tech company with you know one of our products, Manage Flitter, um, we are, we get a lot of requests for an iPhone version and an Android version, native versions, and um, being a bootstrap company, we're just very hesitant to go down that path because uh, yes, it's a tough development cycle, maintenance cycle actually more than development cycle. It's almost like just having, you know, additional product, so to speak. And, uh, but having a, a web HTML5 version, it's, a, it's something we can, we can live with even though our current version is pretty ordinary and we're in the process of, of reworking that. So I'm definitely living that experience of, of, of that overhead in, in developing the apps as much as we'd like to. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, prior to Inmobi, I'm, I'm a serial entrepreneur and uh, I've done four companies, three of them uh, pure bootstrap. And I know exactly where you're coming from. And I think increasingly the world is, is maybe going that direction, uh, whereas I might have been a little bit more of a lunatic. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I think it will I think it will catch up. I think that if you're really providing value in a lot of ways, it it, it may um, be the right thing for you. I think it's a little more challenging if you're doing something like a game, right? But if you're creating, say, an enterprise application or like that, it really might be the right really might be the right choice for you. Uh, and I think that it will just continue to tip in that direction. And, and I think the question is, uh, how quickly? Yeah, we, we were actually even debating about sort of putting a, a crowdfunding type uh, request. We have so many requests for the iPhone app. Just if you guys are that passionate about it, throw us 10 bucks and we'll, uh, you know, we'll see if we can get enough of you interested in it and, and finally get you an iPhone app. And we, we're interested in that just as a sort of business slash social experiment as well. Yeah, just to see on a Kickstarter or Indiegogo or, or one of these things. Yeah, yeah, just seeing, uh, you know, because it is literally a, a cost benefit for us being bootstrapped, which you obviously know all about. So, um, but we'd, we'd love to, um, you know, uh, part of the part of the frustration of the startup world these days is you do need all the different versions of your application. And that's, that is quite a big overhead for a bootstrap company. It's a it's an extreme overhead, and and I deal with that on a day to day basis uh, at Inmobi. And in our case, a lot of the products that I manage are uh, I'm on the largely on the mobile rich media side, and so we have developed a high performance rich media HTML5 core right for developing rich media ads. Uh, but it runs in the context of Inmobis and a lot of other native SDKs. And one of the biggest headaches we have is that as SDKs are upgraded and as applications are upgraded, right, they don't trickle out to everybody right away. Mm. So on the one hand, we have a product that we can upgrade and, you know, it's cloud-based and web-based and HTML5 and it can be updated to everybody immediately. It's running on an extremely fragmented ecosystem, not just because you have iOS and Android and whatever else we choose to support on that end, but because you have applications with a mix of SDKs that people have chosen, publishers have chosen to update or not, that their end users have chosen to upgrade or not. And so you can just imagine this, you know, perpetual froth of, of minute 
version differences that each create their own tiny headache to to support and so it's it's extremely challenging um as a as a well-funded company right it's um it's a crazy complex world we've made it's amazing uh, all this stuff mostly works which is pretty impressive yeah i would i would <laughs> sorry you've dropped out there Are you with us oh yeah yeah i'm still here can you hear me yep Yep. No, sorry, we lost your last response. Oh, okay. I was just saying that. Uh, yeah, I would. I would tend to agree with you. And uh, you know, by and large, it's uh, it's pretty amazing that all this stuff works at all. And uh, I, I once had a years ago I had a, a Welsh boss. I'm not sure why I'm highlighting the fact that he's Welsh, but uh, who was fond of saying that if you stop and think about how the engine's working right you'll think that your car will never run at all but uh exactly it's pretty it's 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 a good thing to remember there's a lot of magic um in all of this which is which is quite remarkable so um alan i really appreciate you joining us it was a a a good you know mobile is definitely an area which we need to cover more of and maybe in a few months we can touch base with you and um, see where where we've evolved to that would absolutely be my pleasure and uh thanks so much for uh taking the time to speak with me. Appreciate that. We've been talking to Alan Peters, who's the director of product at Inmobi and uh, direct from San Francisco. And thanks for your time, Alan. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to checkdog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. Checkdog.com, helping the world's leading websites keep their content error free. It was a little bit of a meandering talk, but I guess mobile, it's almost become meaningless just to talk about mobile. It's just saying, like, let's talk about computers type thing. It's, yeah, there's a lot going I, I on. I guess it is. I guess it is it's such a big space these days. It's so hard to uh, really kind of narrow down on some specific area of it. It's just uh, it's part of uh, all parts of our lives. But, um, yeah, it was, it was quite an interesting talk. I quite... Um, I did find the bit where he's talking about the the gaming advertising interesting, and he was talking about how, you know, there's kind of two markets. There's the there's sort of the traditional advertising type market where you're doing sort of display ads that are popping up on the bottom of apps, mobile apps. Um, but then you've got almost a whole separate market in in the gaming sphere, um, and that's kind of in some ways it's the more innovative market, and in that it involves um, kind of you know upselling inside the app and it involves all kinds of interesting sort of innovative advertising solutions in fact i've been using an app recently um oh i think it's called pixel people anyway you kind of build like a virtual digital town that's kind of a stupid thing but I, i've got myself hooked as usual on these, these <laughs> stupid apps but um and this time you're their target market <laughs> i know i so am <laughs> and this time i've been determined not to spend any money on this thing um because they always sort of incentivize you with like you know just like you can do this thing like 10 times faster if you give us like two bucks and it's like you know i, I want i can still have fun without paying that money but anyway um so there's these tokens that you can get and one of the interesting things they do is that because uh, obviously the vast majority of people who use these kind of apps they're not going to actually pay any money towards it so one of the interesting things they do is you can actually get these tokens you can either pay money for them or you can actually view other people's ads for a certain amount of of these tokens and so you can just view like trailers and that kind of stuff for one or two tokens, but then they kind of incentivize you. Like you go, if you go purchase a domain from GoDaddy or something like that, then you get like, you know, 600 of these tokens. So it's a bit of a, a different sort of advertising model. Um, but you do see that kind of stuff where people are sort of, you know, experimenting on the edges of mm. what's, what's, you know, uh, of what's been done before in, in, in the advertising model in a lot of games. So, yeah, no, I think it's it's quite an interesting era. And it's also interesting that he was talking about how, you know, games are both advertisers and publishers. So, like, a lot of the ads you get, like, the money is almost circulating amongst the games because the games themselves have ads on them, but they're also having their own ads on other games in order to, and you kind of get the cyclical model where all the money that's going in is kind of still flowing around the ecosystem. Um, which is which is really quite different, I think, from a lot of uh, other sort of products that we've had in the digital area before. So, 
yeah, it's a very it's a very interesting space to be in. Yeah, I found that also really interesting. I'm I'm uh, I'm very interested in non-disruptive type of advertising models. Mm. Um, as someone once said, and I've probably said on the show a few times, that someone said it's a bit of a shame that fantastic, innovative, brilliant companies like Facebook, Twitter, Google mm. are essentially focused on selling ads. So it's a little yeah. bit of a lost opportunity. Yeah, all that wasted talent. Well, not wasted, but no. you you wonder what if it was focused on on other things, what it what, what they could do with it. Yeah, so it's it's I, I like that 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 gaming type of um, you know innovation that's happening with with the different type of uh, in stream ads and things mm. like that. So I'm I'm not a gamer, and I try, and I'm and I'm I'm. Uh, you don't have any mobile apps you you play with. I don't, you know, and yeah. and one of the reasons why I don't play with them and get into them is because I know how addictive these things are. Mm. So I'm looking at freeing up my time and not, I'm just like, oh, I just don't want another thing that's just so compelling. There's just yeah. so much compelling in this world already that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you do have to be careful that they don't uh, kind of take over your life. I know some people who, you know, every chance they get, they're just constantly playing with this stuff. So. Yeah, Do- and, you know, it plugs in, it's been proven. I think on episode number one, we spoke about, the, um, you know, the research, I think it was uh, Dr. Rosen, about um, mm. the dopamine hits. Yep. You know, it's been proven that these each time you use your mobile, you get <coughs> you get a hit, a hit of dopamine. Mm. And we Positive all, reaction. Yeah, we all, we all love dopamine, so mucking with our mammalian brain. <coughs> anyway, that's it for episode number 18. It's um, Friday the 26th of April. Thanks for listening. Please stay in touch. Contact us, tweet us, email us. We're always looking for interesting guests. We're happy that the listenership is growing radically. Thanks for your support, and we will see you in a couple of weeks. Remember to check out every Friday. We're coming at the moment every second Friday. We're going to be moving to every Friday. But... Um, From myself, Kevin, and from James, we will catch you next time. Have a good one.